Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Susan, thank you so much for singing for us. I'm thankful for you and, and, and your husband and all that y'all are doing there at First Baptist as you serve right in the heart of Tifton. And um, Caleb, thank you for inviting her to sing for us. And thank you for all that you're doing here as you lead us in worship. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew 24. We did the first half of Matthew 24 last week. We're doing the second half this week. We will start in about verse 36. <clears throat> uh, many of you know my story. Um, you, you know how I, um, how I began my journey to Jesus, how he began to call me to himself. I was riding home um, with my dad from school. And um, I was sophomore in high school, so I was just on the cusp of getting my license or my permit to drive. I didn't have it yet. And, um, and so he was bringing me home from school. My dad picked me up and brought me home every day of school my entire childhood and never rode the school bus. Um, and, and that summer, it was a heat wave in Kentucky. Um, and, and I was sitting there in the passenger seat and the sun shining through the window and I am burning up. Like it's just on me and won't get off of me as we're headed home. And um, I, I just complained, ugh, when is this heat gonna end? And my dad said, I think we're getting close to the end of time. And I freaked out. I'm thinking, I haven't even had my first kiss yet. <laughs> Priorities, people. So I went home, and I Googled the end of the world, which is not wise to do. It's kind of like if you're sick and you Google your symptoms, you'll have terminal cancer every single time. Every time you Google your symptoms, that's what you'll find out. Same thing with Googling the end of the world. You'll see some predictions on there of when it's going to be. It was around August 25th or so when this happened. There was a prediction on Wikipedia. If you know the internet, you know Wikipedia is the least reliable source of all websites on the internet. Um, but on Wikipedia, it said that the end of the world would come September 7th. So you're thinking like, you know, 13 days later. Scared me to death. I wasn't saved at the time, so I didn't know Jesus said you can't predict the end of the world. And so I'm thinking, I got about two weeks left, and that's it, and then it's done. And September 7th came, and I spent the whole day bracing for impact. And then September 8th came, and nothing happened. We said last week that so many of the signs that we so often associate with the end of the world are actually pointing 
um, not to the second coming of Jesus, but to an event that happened in 70 AD with the temple being destroyed in Israel. And we said that a lot of those signs are not actually signs in the first place. Remember, Jesus said, when you see wars, famines, and earthquakes, don't freak out. It's not the end. That's just normal world events, he said. My understanding of Matthew 24 is Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's saying two things. He's saying, first of all, there will be many signs to tell you when the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem is about to happen. That happened in 70. But there will be no signs to tell you when my second coming is about to happen. It will be completely out of nowhere. And so let's see what he says there. Matthew 24, 36. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in part, in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his house to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to him, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember the question that the disciples asked Jesus at the beginning of this chapter. Look back at chapter 24, verse 3. What did they say? They said, tell us, when will these things be? He's just told them the temple is going to get destroyed. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. They think what Jesus has just said about the temple being destroyed and the coming of Jesus and his glory at the end of history, they think that's a sta the same event because they don't know that he's going to die and rise again and ascend to heaven and come back one day. They think it's all going to happen at the same time. It was their false expectation of the Messiah. It was the false expectation of the people at the time. And Jesus is telling them they're separate events. The temple's going to get destroyed in 70. The coming of Jesus is going to happen at some time in the future that we don't know. We believe as Christians have believed for 2,000 years, Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. And he ascended to God's right hand. And one day in the future, he will come again in the clouds in all his glory and usher in the end of the age. None of us, uh, I told you last week that there are 
uh, as far as Matthew 24 goes, there's about six different interpretations of how this chapter plays out. Um, I told you we can disagree about the details of it as long as we agree on the application of those details. Um, none of us can be completely certain about specifics for events that have not happened yet because they haven't happened yet. My understanding of Matthew 24 is that verses 1 through 35, which we looked at last week, are all referring to what happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. They've already happened. But verses 36 through 51 are about the second coming. That has yet to happen. And I, I, I believe that because of verse 34, where Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. A generation is 40 years. All these things had happened within 39 years after Jesus spoke this. But notice verse 36. What does he say? Concerning that day, that day. Verse 36 is the first time the word day, singular, is used. Before that, it's always days, plural. Verse 19, it's used, days. Verse 22, verse 29, all plural. This is the first time that he points to a specific day that something's going to happen. It was plural, now it's singular. It's going to be plural in, in some in this passage, but that's it's referring back to the days of Noah. He's talking about a specific day. Something is going to happen. What day? The day Christ returns. The day that hasn't happened yet. He uses that phrase at the beginning, but concerning. And so in um, the Bible, the phrase but concerning, it, specifically in Greek, the Bible translated from Greek, it can um, mean either one of two things. It can mean either continuing an idea, so starting to say an idea and continuing it on, or contrasting two different ideas. What does that mean? Well, if it's continuing, um, the other day I went to Chick-fil-A for breakfast. I got a chicken biscuit, a frosted coffee. The second I took a drink of that frosted coffee, it was the best frosted coffee I have ever had. Con but concerning all the other frosted coffees, I, I don't think I've ever had one as good as this frosted coffee. It was wonderful. That's continuing an idea. I'm just continuing to talk about the frosted coffee. I don't think that's what's happening here. It's contrasting. It's contrasting the, um, the, what happened in 70 versus the day that is coming. So contrast. I went to Bojangles the other day. And got a chicken strip meal. The chicken strips were very good. But have you ever had Chick-fil-A's chicken? <laughs> Concerning Chick-fil-A's chicken, it far surpasses all those that came before it. That's what's going on here. I see this but concerning as being a statement of contrast. But concerning uh, all these things, remember verse 34, all these things will happen before this genera generation passes away. But concerning that day, the one you're asking about, the one you think you're asking about, my coming in all of my glory, let me tell you about that. And then he goes on and talks about it. So what's he say about it? Well, he says no one can predict when that day will be. No one can predict it. No one knows the day or the hour, he says. That doesn't mean you can predict the month and the year either. Uh, far too many preachers have made a living off trying to use sensationalism to freak people out about how close we are to the apocalypse. A lot of famous preachers out there write a new book every few years that's just an updated book of their book that they wrote eight years ago predicting that we are on the cusp of the end times and they've yet to be right, but they've made a lot of money off of it. If the second coming of Jesus scares you, there's something wrong. If there's something wrong. It's the joy of the church. It's the hope 
of the church. He will come and wipe sin and death away from the world and dwell with us forever. Don't cling to this world so tightly that you, and, that, that, and your life that you fear his coming. Because even the greatest thing in this world that you love is not greater than being with our Lord. You know, take it from someone who used to be scared of the, uh, of the end of the world. Remember, I just told you about that. I promise you, your first kiss is such a wonderful moment, but it's nothing compared to seeing this, the face of, of Jesus. We like to think we're near the end because we have a crazy time in the world at the moment. But nearly every generation in Christian history has thought they were near the end, including the first century apostles, including Peter and John. Uh, you, you read the New Testament, it seems like they, they expect Jesus to return in their lifetime. And he didn't. Because you can't predict it. People have tried, and they've always failed. You may remember a guy named Harold Camping. Do you remember Harold Camping? Um, he used, he, he had this system that he came up with um, where he used various astronomical details in the Old Testament to predict that Jesus would return on September 6th, 1944. And that didn't happen. So he recalculated. Maybe I got the, the, the math wrong. If I was doing it, I would get the math wrong. But maybe he got the math wrong. So he recalculated, and it was actually going to be May 21st, 2011. I remember this one. I don't remember the 1944 one, but I remember the, tw the 2011 one. And May 21st, 2011 came, and it went, and nothing happened. And Harold Camping died in 2013, and here we are still here, waiting. People have tried to predict it for generations, and, they've all, and they will always be wrong. Jesus says it. No one knows except the Father. Jesus says he didn't even know. Now, maybe you, maybe you wonder, as I did, how can an all-knowing God, Jesus, how can an all-knowing God not know when he's going to come? Well, just understand that what we celebrate at Christmas, God the Son took on a human form. He um, took on a human flesh. So God had a fully God aspect to him, Jesus did, and a fully human aspect to him. So in his divine nature, he knows all things. In his human nature, he has to learn to walk and talk. His human nature does not know when he's coming again. His human nature. You cannot predict the coming of Jesus because it will be unexpected. It will be unexpected. That's what he talks about in verses 37 through 41. It will be unexpected. This is one of the reasons I don't think chapter verses 4 through 14, all those signs that we always point to, that we think are about the end of the world, that's one of the reasons I don't think they're meant to be understood as signs for the second coming. Because let's just think about it for a second. If the world is supposed to be in mass chaos when the second coming happens, then every time we're in mass chaos, I'm expecting it to happen, right? So it's not unexpected, right? If there were signs that could tell you when it's going to happen, you would not be unexpected, Jesus is being clear in Matthew 24. There are clear signs for what will happen in 70. When you see them, get out of Jerusalem as fast as you can. But there are no signs for when I will return to earth. So always be ready. Always be ready. It seems to me, from what Jesus says here, seems like life will be pretty normal when Jesus comes. That's what he says. Like he says, just like in the days of Noah... They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and then Noah entered the ark and the flood came. So they were just living their normal life 
and the flood happened out of nowhere. It seems like life is pretty normal. We always think that prior to Jesus returning, there will be bombs exploding everywhere and politicians enslaving the world in $10 a gallon gas and you know Christians being shot in the face during church. Um, there's a sense in which the last days will have a period of rampant sin. We get that from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Then in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lover of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. There's a sense in which that's the, the, the last days, but remember, the last days are not just a few years at the end of history. Biblically, the last days are the whole period between when Jesus ascended and when he comes again. When he ascends, when he comes again, that's the last days. It's the last period of human history. It seems to me Jesus is saying the exact opposite. It seems to me he's saying that when he returns, life will be pretty normal, just like in the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking, he says. People will be meeting up for lunch at Pit Stop. People will be having work meetings over coffee at Espresso 41. Pastors will be in their study preparing for Sunday's sermon. Senior adults will be getting together and playing bridge. College students will be throwing frisbee. Business people will have just left leadership conferences with all kinds of ideas to implement at their business next week that is going to affect profits for the next 10 years. High school kids will be at baseball practice preparing for their game in the, in the semifinals next week. Uh, high school students will be taking the ACT, really nervous about it because it's going to determine what college they can get into and thus affect their future. People will be marrying and giving in marriage, he says. People will be finally arriving at their wedding day. They've been waiting for it for their whole life, planning it for an entire year. Brides will be walking down the aisle to their groom. These couples will have dreams of an entire life together ahead of that moment. Couples will be in a counselor's office on the brink of divorce, having no clue how they're ever going to find a future together. Babies will be being born in that very moment. People in nursing homes and cancer wards will be, about, will be on their deathbed about to take their final breath. And all of a sudden, Jesus will come. All of a sudden, Jesus will come. All the plans these people had for their future will be undone. The, that marriage that was about to happen in that wedding won't happen. That divorce that they can't work out, it won't happen. Um, all those dreams those parents had for that newborn baby won't happen. The ACT won't matter. The baseball semifinals won't matter. That business conference won't matter. The end will come. The day will arrive, coming completely unexpected. That day will be a joy for believers, but will be great doom for the unconverted. Like the days of Noah, he says. For the people on the ark, the flood was not dreadful. For the people on the ground, it was. He tells a story, verses 41 and 42, um, actually 40 and 41, I'm sorry. Um, he tells that it will be like this. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. You and I, because of imagery that we have in our mind about the second coming and because of other Bible passages, 
Um, we often read these verses completely wrong. Notice how Jesus describes it, verse 39. They were unaware in the days of Noah until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken away, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. We, we always read this passage, you know, connecting it to 1 Thessalonians 4, that says the church will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, we, we always read that happening here, but that's not what's being talked about here. Do you see it? Being taken in this passage is what you don't want. So, in the days of Noah, the flood came and took them all away, right? There'll be two people in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. The people in the flood were unaware, and they were taken away. At the second coming, those who do not know Jesus will be taken away by God's wrath, like in the days of Noah. They will be cast into hell. Scripture calls it the outer darkness, the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, a place where God is only present in his wrath, a place where they will feel like they are dying forever, but it never comes to an end. God gives them exactly what they wanted their entire life. They wanted a life apart from relationship with God. He gives that to them for all eternity, and it's miserable. It's nothing but suffering and despair. At the second coming... Those who know Jesus will be left as judgment comes on the world, figuratively speaking. They'll be taken up in the clouds, obviously, but fi figuratively speaking, the judgment comes. It takes away those who don't know Jesus, and it leaves those who do. It's similar to the night of Passover for the Egyptians, for the, for the people in Exodus. All the people who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts were protected from the judgment that came on the land. Those who didn't have it were taken away by the judgment. If you're born again... The blood of the lamb is on your head. You are protected from the judgment that's coming on the whole world. And for you, nothing but joy comes after that. We read it in Revelation 21. God will bring heaven down to earth and marry the earth with it. Heaven and earth will become basically one and remade. The curse will be lifted from the earth. No more sin and death. No more pain and crying. We will dwell with God forever and ever. All the wonderful things of life here now will be renewed and made what they were before the curse happened. They'll be even better than they were before on this new earth. That is the future that awaits the believer. So if you're not saved, come. Come. Come running to him. There's only so much time. You, the, you have but one hope, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. You need him, so come running. So in light of this, how do we live? What do we do with this? Well, we do what Jesus says, verses 42 through 51. We stay awake. We be ready. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, he says. He's going to come like a thief, Thieves don't announce when they're about to come and break into your house, do they? They don't give you a call and say, hey, I'm going to break into your house tonight at 2 o'clock. Could you just have the door unlocked and all your cash out on the counter? That would make it real easy for me. No, they just show up unexpected and break in. And you will either be held at gunpoint and robbed if you aren't ready, or you'll have your Rottweiler ready to sick on the bad guy and have an alarm system to sound to the police and have your Glock on the you know, shelf beside you, right? You'll either be ready or you won't be ready. 
You will either be prepared when the thief breaks in or you won't be prepared. Jesus says, stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know, verse 20, 42, you do not know what day your Lord is coming. You must be ready because Jesus is coming when you don't expect it. There won't be a preacher who can predict that it's almost here. There won't be any clear signs to indicate that we're almost there. It will happen unexpectedly. People tend to get really serious about Christ in times of great tragedy. Um, the Sunday after 9-11 was an extremely high church attendance that day. But during the everyday mundane, during the everyday, you know, just normal grind where bad things aren't happening in the world, that's not the case. Jesus is calling you to stay awake and stay ready every day in the mundane. What does it look like to stay awake? Well, Jesus tells a parable. He says, hey, there's two servants. They had a master. The master went away. The master said, do your job while I'm gone. I'm going to come back unexpectedly and have your work done when I get back. And so one servant starts doing all the work, and the other servant says, I've got plenty of time. I'll, I'll get to it in, in a little bit. I'm going to just you know, rest, enjoy myself, and when I know he's about to come back, I'll, I'll, I'll get it all done. The, the, the second servant kind of thinks like a college student the night before an exam. I'm just going to cram it all the night before, right? Maybe he thinks, I'll get more serious about serving my master when I'm retired one day. I'll do all my stuff that the master wants me to do when my kids are out of the home one day. Maybe he thinks, you know, I'm in my 20s. Uh, this is my time to have fun. I'll serve my master after I've settled down a little bit. One servant is ready. The other is not. You know, Haddon was born um, May the 16th, um, 2020. His due date was May 26th. We had to induce 10 days early. Um, and basically the moment May the 1st hit, basically the moment May the 1st hit, hit, I was watching for any sign that Adrian might be going into labor. I was preparing myself. I was getting ready. I had finished all the nursery furniture somehow, because I'm not a handyman, but somehow I got it all working. Um, we, we had a hospital bag packed and ready I needed my yard mowed at one point during that time, and I called Howard Duvall, and I said, hey, can you come mow my yard, because I don't want the dust to stir up and get me congested, and they think I have COVID and not let me in the hospital. Um, so he was nice enough to come over and do that. Um, I was watchful and ready, because I knew that day was coming. I knew at some point, baby was coming. So the question for you to ask yourself is, which servant are you? Which one? Are you laboring for the Lord Awake, ready for him to come? Or are you putting off serving him, putting off coming to him for salvation, putting off being deeply committed to him until later? Uh, I'll, I'll get serious about him at some point, but not right now. The, the, the one that isn't ready, is that you or is it the one that is? Just ask yourself some questions this morning. Do I read my Bible like the one in the pages may be here tomorrow? Do I share the gospel with those around me like I think that, that they may not have many more days to receive Christ before he is here? Are there sins I live in and enjoy, big and small, that Jesus, if he returned tomorrow, would be exposed to everyone to see? Do I attend and serve the church like I expect the king is coming soon? Do I give my life to love others and serve others like I expect the king is on the way. Which one is it? Do I pray 
like I'm longing for this king to come? Do, do I expect him? Are you keeping watch? Are you keeping watch? Are you faithfully following all that he wills for your life? Or are you putting it off until you're through this season of your life? Friends, stay awake. Stay alert. Be ready. He says it right there. The Son of Man is coming back when you do not expect it. Let's pray. Father, may we long for you. May we long that you will come. May, may we long that Jesus will return and make everything right. But Lord, may we um, live our life in such a way that we are expecting that. May we not be putting it off like that second servant. May we be longing for his coming. Father, I pray if there's anyone here not in that place, either they don't know you as Savior, they don't know Jesus as Savior, or they um, just are, are really um, absent from walking with you right now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them now and move in them and make them to repent and come. In Jesus' name, amen.